Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word. Today is not hopefully not going to be too long. It's an introduction, but I just really want God to stay our hearts. Like that's success for today. So let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, oh, we are ready. We are ready. Even after a busy day, going to church, hearing the word, being instructed, we are still gathered here to say, Lord, your word is first place. We're here to say, Lord, we, we, we value spiritual growth. We value spiritual disciplines. And we value the community that you've given to us. Thank you for family. Thank you for your wisdom that will be shared today. We are open and we're ready. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So this month, we are jumping into this theme that has been so near and dear to my heart for a very long time. And I've been planning to teach on it because there's so many things um, that need to be said. There's so many things that need to be broken down. And I want us to be able to interact on a very, very honest level. One of the aspects of um, BMG is vulnerability, right? Not only do we focus on studying the word and being good at doing that, we focus on being able to defend the faith, which we spend a lot. We spent a lot of time last month dealing with, right? But we also focus on the, the supernatural where we're talking about God's work in our lives, both in power gifts and in just sanctification, the work of the spirit within us, right? And then we are also very vulnerable. And vulnerability is one of the hardest things because everyone seems perfect, you know? Like everyone just, if you don't sit with someone and they're not open enough to be real with you, you would think everyone is better than you. Or you would think, you know, they, you are better than everyone else too you know you, you don't always have a good gauge of people but the word of god is very clear and by the way you may hear some music in the background just think of it as worship music is <laughs> that is we have some people around and they're using the other space so if it gets too loud try and focus on me all right but just imagine it's, you'll be hearing spanish music i'm just giving you a heads up so spanish music they're dancing outside maybe at some point, I will show you. <laughs> but really, when it comes to vulnerability, a lot of us are not, um, they're not vulnerable. And we don't understand that vulnerability is one of the things in, in the kingdom that sets us up for success. When we're able to be open with who we are, we will be, we'll be fulfilling the scripture that talks about let him who thinks he's higher than others you know, see himself as being lower. The Bible is very, very instructive on this subject. Don't exalt yourself. You bring yourself low and God will exalt you, you know. And why am I even bringing up vulnerability at this point? It's because on the subject of this month, um, you'll see how it ties in, but there are aspects of the subject of honor, which is the theme, yeah, aspects of the subject of honor that um, maybe people don't really realize are very, very important. 
So when we say honor, what, what comes to your mind? You're very quick to say, oh, respect, right? Um, valuing something as being higher than other things um, or showing some sign of um, see, seeing the sacredness of a thing and treating it as such. But you see, it goes beyond that. It goes into every other thing. So when we say honor, you can say honor God. You can say honor his word. You can say honor the king, right? You can just say honor the king. You can say honor the, the, the man of God. You can also say honor your body. And you see how it gets very personal at that point. You know, you know honor your friend. Honor people who are not as wealthy as you are. So it starts going to very, very deep aspects of our hearts. And so that's why this is so this is so near and dear to me, because throughout the course of this month, we're going to be discussing different aspects of honor. And so the month is tagged your honor. Just because I was not creative enough. <laughs> but like, you know, when you see your honor, you're thinking, you know, your majesty, your honor, that kind of thing. And really, it's still con- connoting the idea of honor and respect and you know treating people or treating yourself with a certain level of dignity and respect right so again welcome to the month of july and our focus is on this subject of of honor and um what 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 are the what are the issues we have most of the time it's either in the church guys in the church there there are two extremes when it comes to this honor, you know, I remember going to a particular church and um, I had to walk out. This was a long time ago and this was in Nigeria. I had to walk out because I, I just felt something was off. So, and maybe some of you have seen this whole um, thing on, on TV before. I saw it in real life, right? Where they actually carried the pastor from outside. <laughs> In a chair and brought him to the front. I'm not joking. And this was a machine. I don't even know machine. I don't know if you know machine. But uh, so like I'm not I know I saw it eventually many years after, you know, and I thought it was they made it a meme where they were carrying, you know, in a chair and they brought him to the stage and they had to calm down. I saw this real life. And so there are some extremes in the body of Christ. <laughs> where like you know you honor your man of God by making sure his, his feet don't touch the ground you must touch the altar you know uh, some of you grew up in certain places like you, you, when you were maybe when you were a child you grew up in that church setting and maybe you were walking near the, the pulpits and you're about to step on it you say ah don't go to the altar that altar is a holy place how many of you have experienced if you don't experience this thank God for God like you know you're okay <laughs> but like this is real stuff. Let me make sure I can see the chat here. One second. You know, there are people who are. Can you guys still see me? Able. Okay, okay, good. All right. I don't know how to switch this to gallery view. I really want to see you guys. Anyway, but that's one extreme, right? And some of you can think of some of the things that I'm saying, and maybe not as bad as the things I've just described. But there are some extremes, right? You just see there are people who have this, you know, view of honor that is like hero worship. So they treat this one person as God, right? And that's an extreme where 
the Bible does teach honor, but people have taken it to, an, to a place that is very unhealthy and that's caused a lot of problems. So that's, you know, so it, it ends up looking like, you know, lack of discernment, eye service, because obviously you're not doing anything from your heart. At that point, the honor is not genuine. It's just, it's either a way to avoid the wrath of God, right? Or something, there's some inspiration that causes you to treat someone in a certain way that is just unhealthy. But on the other side, there is this, this what I would say, practice of dishonor, even in the same body of Christ, where they, they don't go the extreme to worship a pastor or anything, right? But they spend their lives judging everyone, speaking against every minister of God. Do you know people like that? Like, they don't have anything good to say. It's just like, ah, that one, see what he did this, you know? He has done that, he has done this. And you, you it can... If you are in that kind of environment, it can really affect you because over time you stop being very discerning to understand, you know, how to honor and, and, and value people. So you always see those two extremes, right? You see extremes of people who are taking people to the highest level that is not even healthy for them. It's not healthy for the worshipers, it's not healthy for the pastor or for the leader because at that point he's seen himself as God. How many of you know the story of the 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 um, this man who was able to get about eighty two people to drink poison and go to heaven. I basically told them they would drink, you know. That's when they got the term "drink the cool aid." It was an actual event where a man, you know, who can be a false prophet, but to them he was like sent by God, you know, was telling them the end is coming and that a spaceship is coming to take them and for them to get into the spaceship. Some of you will be like, what is this? Is this real? It is real. Things are happening in this world, my people. And, you know, drink this thing. And because you have to be in the spaceship when Jesus comes. So how are you going to get there? Well, you have to be a spirit. So you have to poison yourself. So literally all these people poison themselves. They all died. And that's how this guy convinced them to kill themselves. Obviously there's no spaceship and that's not how to get to heaven. So, the fact that these people, and if you, when we watched, I like, these are the kind of documentaries I like to watch. I don't watch too much like TV drama. I like the investigation, you know, crime, history, documentaries, these are the kind of things I watch because I want to be educated and I want to use my fun time to also learn. I'm weird like that. I don't just want to be entertained. I really want to get something from whatever I watch. And so I watched this particular one and they were showing the recordings and you could literally see these people was like they were brainwashed. Like say, oh, I just love him. It's just like Jesus, you know? And it's like, what? And then all of them, they all cut their hair like men. So women had short hair. They all dressed the same. And this guy was so unassuming. Like if you see him, you will not think anything of him. But he had a way with words with them and he captured all of them. So that is, and I don't want to do brain cells. Yeah, so. So. Honor is a subject. That's the name, right? Honor is a subject that, that needs to be learned, right? And it's and why do we need to learn honor? It's in the counsel of God. There is a biblical teaching on honor. So even when there are extremes, God calls us to line up with truth, all right? So instead of you being, and I'm already jumping, you know, saying some things I was going to say later on, but I think it's fine, right? Discussing. There are some times you may be about to move to both extremes and God's counsel is right there in the middle where 
you must honor, for example, now we're talking about ministers of the gospel. You must honor them and understand that God has empowered them to do, to do the work they're doing without worshiping them. And when I say worshiping them, I mean treating them as though they are faultless, treating them as though everything they say is the word of God. So even when it contradicts scripture, you're not able to say, hey, I love you, man of God, but this thing doesn't line up and, and I'm not going to accept that. And it's a thin line and we'll have a conversation around that this month, right? Because we're going to discuss honoring people, men of God, your parents, you know, there's actually a teaching on honoring your parents. There are things they will tell you to do, you must do because you honor them. And there are same things they will tell you not to do or they'll, they'll tell you, yeah, like, okay, for example, if they tell you anything about your Christian faith and they tell you not to do that, especially when it has to do with the worship of God, the Bible gives clear instructions, honor your father and your mother in the Lord, meaning it is a context of, of honoring them that when they deviate from the word of God, you have every right to, to move. Somebody's knocking, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe there, I'm not sure, but... Right, so let's have. It's very important to have this this mindset that this subject of honor. We're going to get it right. Say loud, amen. We're going to get it right. We're going to have the biblical balance. We're going to have the right approach, such that our lives will be full of honor. Our lives will be full of grace. It's such a beautiful thing. So it's a subject that has to be learned. So, and and I call honor the lost practice of the church, the lost practice of the church. And we need, we need an intervention. So let's start with the scripture because today the focus um, amongst other things is honor for the written word, honor for the written word. And it's called final say. How many of you know the song? Who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. And then, they, you know, some, somehow the song is like, Jehovah turned my life around. Sometimes I, I wonder who wrote these songs because <laughs> 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 nothing is wrong with the song. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know how it flows. Who gets what I'm saying? Like, okay, God, Jesus, God has the final say. But then the next part of the, the line is, it turned my life around. So I don't, this seems like somebody's personal experience that is just disjointed and you just mixed up stuff. You know, because when I see a song, I want to see a flow, right? You start with, in Christ alone, you know, I say, okay, it's going somewhere. Or, I mean, think of some songs we sing in church. Beautiful songs, they just have a flow. But there are some songs we've been singing growing up, you know, that is just disjointed. Or there's this one, um, um, well, you can defend it like that. It's best and chorus. So let me let me not spend too much time there. But you know what? It's a call. Like anytime you hear a song, don't be overly critical, but just be sure what you are singing. You know, just make sure that it is making sense. So that means God turned your life around. You know, he makes a way where there is no way. So maybe that one, we can use that to defend the whole point, right? He has the final say over their lives. Okay, it's fine. Anyway, let me stop being... Semantic issue. I agree. All right, so let's open our Bibles real quick to Proverbs chapter 9 from verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9 from verse 10. Thank you very much. This is beautiful. 
All right. So it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Sorry, is the, sound, is the music so loud? Okay, you can hear me now. Okay, very good. All right. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the, the originals would say the Holy, not the Holy One necessarily, but I think you can add one and you'll still be fine. Yeah, exactly. The knowledge of the Holy is understanding. What does this text really mean? This text is, you know, it's part of many problems that um, Solomon has, but he's trying to say something that the average man may not understand that if I am the, the beginning of my wisdom is when I start to fear the Lord. So when do I start becoming wise? When do I start becoming discerning? When can I say I have wisdom? When does that start? It says it starts when you start to fear the Lord. That's very big. That's important because the Bible says, in, is this Psalm, Psalm 19, Psalm 16, or Proverbs? Actually, in Proverbs, sorry. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. So can you connect the dots between this text and that? So a fool, someone who is not wise, says in his heart, there is no God. When does he become wise? When he recognizes and honors God. You see that? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then he says, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So at the foundation of everything is God. So you can't say you are wise and not give regard for God. You cannot say you are wise and not give regard for God. And then he says, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So when he says the holy, we're talking about things that are sacred, things that are divine, or you just have a special um, purpose to them. When we say holy, I hope you realize or you know that holy is not always talking about sinlessness, right? The word holy is in the in the in the you know in Greek is hegios, and it means to be set apart or to or to be separate. So it has a use. So I can make something holy. For example, the 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 angel speaks to Moses in the burning bush as a voice of God and says, you are on, you're standing on holy ground. Now the ground has not sinned before, right? It does not have the ability to sin, but it's called holy ground because it is holy. All right. And so when he says the knowledge of the holy is understanding, it's, it's repeating the same idea of the fear of the Lord is being of wisdom, but he's using, you know, a different way to say that, hey, if you think you have knowledge, you can only claim to have understanding if you have knowledge of what is sacred. If you're able to distinguish between what is honorable to God and what is not honorable to God. Think about this. I want you to reflect on the thoughts that I'm sharing with you because the world says differently. You see someone and he comes and he has a debate, like an atheist, you know, oh, I know the beginning of the earth is this, 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 and it's plotting numbers, giving you all these different calculations. And you're like, wow, this guy is a powerful scientist. He knows everything. And God, God's word says, no, he knows nothing because he's disregarding the very source of all life. Praise the name of Jesus. That's, that is very instructive. And why am I starting with this text? Because everything goes back to honoring what is sacred. 
honoring what is godly. It's a, it's a, it's a principle that you must have in your life that in my life there will be things that are marked as sacred, marked as holy, marked as set apart. And I, I want you to maybe spend some time thinking about that right now. Is there any aspect of your life that is untouchable by the world because you honor God? Is there any aspect of your life that is reflective of the fear of the Lord? Because that's where it starts, right? If you say you're wise, there should be something that shows you honor God. And fear here, by the way, just because we're studying, this is Bible Marathon. Who can tell me what fear means here? What is the actual meaning of the word fear? What does it mean to fear the Lord? You know, someone says, fear God, though. fear God's reference. Exactly. It doesn't mean be afraid of him. Because that doesn't make sense. It, and so the, the, the root idea is to revere, to treat as sacred, to, to honor. And that's back to what we're talking about. It's the idea of honor. It's the idea of treating as, as special. So God calls us to put God in that place, in a place of sacredness in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. Let me show you another text that communicates this idea. First um, Peter chapter three. Some of you know where I'm going already. First Peter chapter three. Very popular verse. We used it last month, but there's a part that starts that verse. Verse 15. First Peter 3, 15. I also want to read that verse boldly. Anyone? First Peter 3, verse 15. Yes. And I read, but satisfy the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that accepts you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness yeah. and fear. Beautiful. So many of you know the second part, right? We talked about it last month. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason for your hope. So every time someone says, hey, why are you a Christian? Hey, why do you live this way? The Bible instructs that you have an answer. So every Christian should have an answer. But you see the flow. Notice that the, the phrase or the sentence that comes be, before, be ready always to give an answer. What is that punctuation there? It's a colon. Can you see it on your screen? It's a colon. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Colon and be ready. What's the correlation? What's the flow? What is, what is in Peter's mind when he's saying this? He's saying your readiness to give a response of wisdom, your readiness to give a response of insights into what you believe, the hope that you have, must first come by putting God in a reverential place in your heart. Do you see the correlation? Do you see the link? So he's saying, sanctify the Lord in your heart. Like put God in a very sacred place such that when someone has a question, you always have a response. Because the only reason, the only way you have a response is because you've put God in a special place. I can tell you for a fact, there are students, maybe you were in, in math class and there was this student that just seemed obnoxious because he just knew all the answers and he didn't want anybody to rest. And you guys have had such classmates or you probably were that one. I was, when I was very young, maybe not too young, maybe secondary school. I was the, I didn't know. I felt like, you know, people looking back now, I would think I had like, maybe I was on the spectrum <laughs> because I was, 
as the, the most obnoxious person that I could in my junior secondary school. If Isa, Isa, I know the answer, and I'll just stand up and answer it and feel myself, you know, and everybody's just looking at me that what's wrong with this guy. I was the guy that would say, Sir, you forgot to give us assignments. <laughs> that has helped me, man. You know, <laughs> Trevor said Einstein, who I beg you. I was the one that was going to remind teachers of stuff they forgot. I was the one that was helping people with notes. I was just that person that just, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was later when I looked back, I said, ah, the mother, they didn't like me. You know, I got wisdom. When I was a child, I thought as a child. When I was, you know, like Paul said, but now I know better. But you see, the, I was doing those things because I, maybe I, I didn't really get it fully. But I, I, I revered what I was doing. Like I took, there was a place in my heart that education took. And I think that was just because of the kind of parents I had. But there was just a place of ah, this serious business. Like I want to take this seriously. And so it showed in my response, in how I dealt with answering questions, now I was participating in classes and stuff. And some of you have this sacredness in your heart for other things. You know, for example, if someone comes now, they say, I'm walking on your wheel and you just see some people sitting there and they are talking about Limiho. Sorry, I don't know his name like that, but you just, all of a sudden, you are entitled. I must bring this conversation, you know, and you walk in there and you're just giving them, no, 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 you're wrong. It's not pronounced like this. It's pronounced this, you know, because K-drama and K-people are dear to your heart. You have sanctified them in your heart. That's really what you have done. Maybe you have to use scriptural terminology but that's what you've done right or you've seen have you seen people who are like so determined to defend their sports team to death to them part like no matter what their situation is whether as night is up or down they will be they say hey ah, i trust these people in my life they will even say when i played you you know, have you have you heard people when they make those but uh, sports conversations like when I played you, I, I tore you apart, I destroyed you. And like you, when did you play? Can you even kick a ball? But but there's a place of coming. Come in. Sorry, one second. Oh sorry, come in. So sorry. Thank you. She's the one that gave me the wisdom to find this space. So if not, I wouldn't have been able to teach. So say thank you, Dara. Thank you for being a wise woman. Thank, thank you, Dara. All right. So I just there's still dancing now. <laughs> okay. So like when you see the vehement response that people have to things that they are passionate about, you need to understand that it comes from a place of sanctification and not in the sense of like purifying yourself. It's from they put this thing in a place that nothing can touch. And that's what, you know, is a subtle line between worship and idolatry. So while this instruction is for worshiping God, meaning you must put God in a place that no one can touch. What many people have done is they've replaced this sanctification, like putting God in his place and they put something else in that place. But my point here is not to beat anybody. It's to make a very clear point that the Bible is very, very, very unequivocal on this subject of honor. You know, where, where you put God will determine what flows out of your heart. You know, it's so important to get that. 
So it says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does it mean to sanctify the Lord God in your heart? It means to, in a sense, the pictorial representation is clean, clean the space. It's like you op- you created a space, you cleaned it, and you said, come inside. So no one can take that place. No one can soil it. No one can scatter it. If they come, it's, 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 I just mopped. How many of you can, you know, you've cleaned your house and it's like, why are you stepping away? I've mopped. That's kind of the, the, the jealousy you need to have to guard the knowledge of God in your heart. So we've read a few scriptures and the central point is, hey, if you want to be wise, if you want to show, you know, deep regard, you must first value and understand God. You must fear the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then he says the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Praise God. So when you honor God, newsflash, we can't see God. How many of you have seen God before? Somebody told me it's covenant. When I was in Covenant University, there's one guy that was going everywhere, telling everybody, I've seen God, I've seen God. And we were believing him, you know. Because <laughs> at that point, we were ready for anything supernatural. We just wanted to hear. You know, there was what they said. They gathered in a room, and they were taking turns. said, it's your turn to see God. And they would just pray, pray, pray in tongues. And they say, I see God, I see God, and fall down. Like, there were weird things happening that school. <laughs> and then oh, and they were taking turns. So I used to hear that. I used to see these people, like, they're so spiritual. Oh, my God, you've seen God, you know. And it was many, many, many years after, you know, that I actually saw the scripture that says, no one has seen God at any time. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. So let me let me quickly show you that text that you, you have it with you. You know, uh, is it John 3, John 3, 13? Oh, no, John 1, 18. Please put John 1, 18 first. But I, I mean, some of these things, you know, you would not fall into deception if you know the word of God. Do you agree? Like, there's some things that people will say, you just say, I know, that doesn't make sense now. Here's why. You just quote the verse, because you know it. If you don't know the word of God, it's going to be a problem. You'll be deceived. You know, thank you. So that's what, is that 18? Yeah, John 1, 18. No man hath seen God at any time. And then he says, the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, hath declared him. Meaning, we can't see God. God is invisible. He remains invisible till this day. When we get to heaven, God is still the invisible God. I'm going to teach that one day, but I'll just make it the point because I really want you to get this. Someone has asked me this question recently, so I'll use the opportunity to teach this. No one has seen God at any time. No one will see God at any time. So how do we interact with God? This verse tells us that the one who, this, this, the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, when he says the bosom, he's talking just about the, the home of the father, the presence of the father. He says that son has declared him, meaning you want to see who God is. This is the declaration of who God is. Look at the son. So when you look at Jesus, the invisible God becomes visible to you. Now, I, I hope I'm not lost you, but I want to back that point up because this is a segue into kind of like the focus of the teaching today. Let's go to First Timothy, First Timothy 3, 16. And I think that will help you get this because it's important. And I hope this answers the question, who are we going to see when we get to heaven? You know, some people have the idea of 
God is sitting on the throne. The Father is sitting on a big throne, very big, because the earth is his footstool. So his, his leg must be very, very big. You know, if the earth is his footstool, ah, must have the biggest calves in the world, right? And then on the left side, because it's right and left. So the right side, Jesus is on the right side, because the Bible says, at, at, at my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And then on the left side, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, because they are trinity. <laughs> you know, some people have this idea, of what would I see? And they're so confused, you know. By the way, when we say right hand, read carefully. Every time the Bible says, at the right hand of the Father, it's really talking about the place of authority. When you say my right hand man, my right hand man, what does it mean? It says the per- that means the person that can take my place, the person who can represent me, or the person who is near and dear to me, right? My right hand man. So that idea was very common in Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew language, where you say right hand. So where he says, in my presence, there's fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's saying in, my, in the place of authority, there's pleasure forevermore. At my place of authority. And, and Jesus is at the right hand of God. All right? So don't, miss, don't make any mistake there. Now, is right hand a location? It was in one instant. That was when Stephen looks up, being stoned, he looks up, and the Bible says he saw the heaven open, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And that one actually speaks on location. But he's saying at the right hand of the Father because that's who he saw. We'll get there. But that's who he saw. He, did, he said, so the right hand of the Father is what um, the, the, the Psalms have been teaching us about the position of Christ. So, yes, a physical location, he saw him, but he's not saying, like, I saw God and I saw Jesus on the right side. I saw only Christ at the right hand of the Father. So he did see him, but he didn't see the Father. And I'll show you why I said this. We just read it before. What was the text? No man has seen God at any time. Jesus has declared him. Now, look at... Okay, we're already here. I'll read this text. I'll go to another text and come back here. So read this text. This is First Timothy. Can you guys hear me well? It's all musical. Not sure. It's sipping in. Okay, anyway. Yeah, we can hear the music, but we can also hear you. Okay, okay. That was, that's all you guys can hear me. So it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So listen to this. I, you can read this and just bypass and say, wow, glory to God. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached on, into, unto the Gentiles, believed on, unto the world, received up in glory. Hallelujah. But why is this great? Why is this? Why does he call it? the mystery of godliness that should stop you as a bible student like okay why is paul saying great is the mystery of godliness in other words god is very great and here's a mystery that's what he's about to say he's about to say this is undebatable that god is great but it's called the mystery of godliness here he's not talking about godly living he's talking about the godhead the mystery of the godhead you know when we talk about the trinity and we say it's such a mystery, so complex. Paul understood that, <laughs> all right? So the same struggles we might have in understanding the dynamics, of course, he had less of that. He's an apostle, he understood things better. But he definitely still had, so it as a mystery. It's a mystery it, to, to know that there's one God, but one God is three, and that, and that each person of the Godhead is, is God. But we believe in one God. So Paul is like, 
the mystery of godliness is so mind-blowing. And so he's about to explain that mystery of godliness. What does he say? He says, God was manifest in the flesh. So God became flesh. Or let me put it this way. The God who we've not seen has now taken a form that we can see in this physical body. Does that make sense? Now, follow the logic. It says, justified in the spirit, which means the spirit validated the sonship of Jesus. Like the fact that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is divine, the spirit proved it. How? Just as a quote, Romans 1, 4, the Bible says he was proved to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That's Romans 1, 4. Declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness or according to the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead. What does this mean? In the, the previous verse here, verse 3 says, he was, um, according to the flesh, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So if you want to trace Jesus' lineage, you can say, oh, his great-grand-grand-grand-grand-grandfather was David. But how do you trace Jesus to be the son of God? There's no way to trace you him to God. Where, how do you do it? So... Paul now says the way you can trace him to God is by the resurrection of, from the dead. The fact that he said he would rise from the dead and he did. The Holy Spirit proved that he was truly who he said he was. Is that, does that, is that clear? Do you get this text? So now let's jump back. Let's jump back now to the previous verse. He says God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. That's what we just understood now. So it was proved, that's what justified, to be the son of God. By the Spirit. So the proof of his divinity was shown in his resurrection. Now, then he says a very, very interesting phrase seen of angels. Ah, okay. <laughs> what is special about being seen of angels? So I put it to you that there's a very strong point he's making. The invisible God that no one has ever seen, angels have finally seen him. How? In Jesus. See, this is big stuff. The God that created all things is spirit. All right. Most people have the idea that, oh, spirit is one realm and the physical is one realm. To a, to a degree, you are right. But you have to understand that you can't, it's not like state and capital or words and opposites. All right. It's, there is the spirit realm. And the physical realm is a part of the spirit. It was created by the spiritual. So it's not physical, it's the opposite of spiritual. The spiritual creates all things. And one of those things created is the physical realm that we abide in. So if God is spirit, God cannot be confined to the physical realm unless he chooses to be, which is what Jesus is, is the proof that God can confine himself to a physical location for our salvation. Glory to God. That's beautiful stuff. But it's a scene of angels. So, ah, so angels finally could see the God they had been worshipping for eternity. One day, some shepherds are just on their own, you know, waiting. They're just watching flock. And the Bible says, the angels of the Lord, in thousands and thousands and th innumerable number, just appeared and they started singing 
Wow, glory to the to the to the king that is born. He says, on earth, goodwill to men. This is the first time, like this is big news. That's why they, they taught the heavens. It's like, wow, there's a baby, and this baby is God. This is big. Thank you. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. So you have to understand that when he says sin of angels, Paul is thinking about this. He's like, ah, God was manifesting a physical body. Proved to be the son of God. Seen finally of angels. This God who is eternal has finally been seen by angels. And guess what? Seen by us too. So he goes on and says, preached unto the Gentiles. So initially, you already know, you've been in Bible Marathon, so you already know Jews versus Gentiles. You know the whole story. So the Jews were the ones who were, in a sense, custodians of the oracles of God. They had the knowledge of God. They had this thing that they just held to their chest. Oh, God is for us. So Paul is saying, and that mystery is that this God was not just preached to the, Gen- to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And it talks about him belie- being believed on in the world by the Gentiles and received up into glory. So he's talking about, this is such a mystery. God is great. He took on flesh. Now, let me show you a verse just to solidify my point. Because some of you are still like, well, it doesn't mean that We'll not, you know, God, you cannot see God. What are you saying? Uh, yes, we we'll see Jesus, but we we'll see God. Well, <laughs> maybe I should show you one real quick. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 9. I might be wrong. Maybe it's 2 verse 9. Yes, 2 verse 9. Sorry. Colossians 2 verse 9. Look at what it says. For in him, go back in verse, um, Colossians chapter 2 from verse, from, from verse 8. He says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So he's about to tell us something about Christ. He says, for in him, in Christ, dwelleth, I don't know how else to explain this, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if you want to see the Godhead, you want to know who God is, you want to see the, the physical representation of the Godhead, you look at Jesus. The, the, the whole of divinity, God has chosen in his wisdom to dwell inside this man, the man Christ Jesus. That's powerful. Again, it still leaves you with a Trinitarian conundrum because it's like God is three, God is one. But it's fine. Just take the word of God and ex- you know, and love the word of God for what it says. And then this was just in passing. Go to 1 Timothy 6.16. And this is the one that just cements it, solidifies the idea that this God that Paul was preaching, he did not change his mind about him. Is this still the same God, the Father. He says, who only has immortality, meaning he, he cannot die. He has no beginning and no end. That's what he's talking about. And where is he? Dwelling in the light which no man can approach onto. So first category, no man can approach that light that God is dwelling behind. Because I mean, for, for lack of a better way to explain, he has to use light. Just to, to say the glory is too great that you cannot perceive it. You cannot see this God. He says, which no man can approach onto, whom no man has seen nor can see. <laughs> so Paul is saying, listen, the God we are worshiping, 
no man has seen him. No man can see him. And the only one that has seen the father is the one who revealed him to us. Right? So that's what the Bible says in um, what we read before, right? No, no one has seen God, but the one, the, the only son who was in the bosom of the father has revealed him to us, right? And we beheld the glory. Look at, I think, thanks for bringing me here. This is a mistake, but it's a divine mistake. Look at this text. This is John 1, 14, right? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It's not, now, this is in brackets, because he's trying to, this is a teaching for another day, is connecting the dots between the Old Testament, right, and Christ's ministry. That's why he says, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came. It's a few verses from here, he's going to say that. But he's connecting the dots, so he has to put a bracket to say, hey, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's saying, we finally seen the invisible God, the glory that was not seen, the, the, the glory that could destroy you. Like, if you see God, you die. That, in other words, you can't see God. That's the, the point he's making. Like, it's not, forget it, it's not debatable. But this God who is invisible, immortal, has finally been revealed. And God chose to do it by taking on a human body in the person of Jesus Christ. By the way, it's not the father that is shape-shifting. So just to help you understand, we're not saying the father said, hmm, you sinned. I'm going to shape-shift. I'm now Jesus. And then when I want to be the spirit, Jesus said, no. You have to understand that the, the trinity or the concept of the Godhead is such that there's the father who sent his son. For God so loved the world that he was. He gave his only son. So he gave someone who is still God, but the word was made flesh, all right? He's not a teacher on Trinity, but I feel like it's important because the point I'm trying to make with all this explanation is so crucial. He gave his only son, and so the son cannot be the father. But in John chapter 1 from verse 1, we see that from verse 14, the word was made flesh. So we know the word was changed to another form, right? Stay with me. Sorry, I hope I'm not going to to deep here. The word was made flesh. So it was the word, and then it became flesh. It took on flesh. Now, let's see the origin of the word. Go to verse 1. John chapter 1 from verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, this could confuse you if you don't get the point. It says, in the beginning was the word, meaning when everything was beginning, the word was in existence. And then he says the word was with God, meaning the word, this word was with another entity at the beginning. And that entity is called God. Are you here? And then it confuses us with the last one. And the word was God. <laughs> this, is, this is the reason, by the way, this is the reason we even have any point in raising the Trinity conversation. Like, if this verse was not in the Bible, we might, I mean, there's a lot more, don't get me wrong. There's a lot more to prove. But this one is just, it's just so glaring. It's like, okay, the word was with God, but that word is still God. And that word became flesh. So the word that became flesh is God. So Jesus is God. You get the equation. But the Father is still God. <laughs> so, 
the harmony of all these, you know, things I've made here is to say that because God is very much his word, we are called to honor the word. So if the Bible says, sanctify the Lord Jesus in your hearts, what he's actually saying is you must sanctify God in your heart. You must sanctify his word in your heart. And how do we know the God of the Bible? How has he revealed himself to us? He has revealed himself to us with speech. He spoke. He has used words. He has communicated his thoughts to us. And that's why we can know him. Imagine if God chose to be silent. That's why I said imagine. It's hard. Because the only reason we even have a Bible marathon today is because God has spoken. We have something to look at and say, this is who God revealed himself to be. So I, I said all these stories to tell you that we have to put God in a sacred place. And putting God in a sacred place, because we can't see him, he's invisible. What can we put in a sacred place in our hearts that is proof of putting God in our hearts? It's putting the word of God in a very sacred place. And so my point that I'm making here is, you have to honor God's word. You have to sanctify God's word in your heart. You have to, you have to have a, 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 a an undying, relentless honor for the word of God. Such that if God has said something and you understand it correctly, it cannot change. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how you feel, regardless of your culture, regardless of where, as long as the word of God has said something, you have no right to change it. And this is such a timely word because it's very easy for you to find the post, right? You want to find a way around the truth. And so you have people who are just trying to take the word of God and bend it and make it fit their agenda. But no, no way is that going to work. The word of God needs to take its place in your heart. Question is why? So why, <coughs> sorry, why honor the word of God? Why honor the word of God? Number one, it is authoritative. It is authoritative. It's God speaking. If God created things and they responded, who are you? <laughs> you have to get the point. God was on his own and he said, let there be light. And light did not wait. Do you get Like he spoke and something responded. And he said, let the waters bring forth living beings. And they just keep like, the word of God is so authoritative that when it says something, it comes to pass. Let me show you a verse. Um, Isaiah 55, verse 11. I love this verse so much. I learned it back in, in college. And I meditated on it. And I hope you guys spend time. I don't want you to be, you know, quick to move on from here. No, Isaiah 55, 11. I, I really want you guys to build a, a um, meditation culture. So forget volume. It's very easy. Sorry, I hope it's in the Bible, 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11. I know it's there, sorry. <laughs> it's the same one. Okay, don't worry, don't worry. If someone has it, we'll read it together. But I hope you have a practice. And if you don't have one, I want to, re I want to recommend that you have one. What, what am I talking about? If the practice of memorizing and meditating on scripture. It will, it will bless you. See, all the things I just explained to you, the reason I'm not as confused 
as I used to be about the Trinity, you know, is these things. Like, literally just saying, okay, I don't get it. Forget what everybody else is saying. What can I understand from scripture? And I pick one, and I meditate on it. I think on it. I study it. I, I do all this word search. I finally come to a conclusion. Then I compare my understanding with what others have taught. And it's like, wow, okay. So I could get the same conclusion this person got. Beautiful. And I want you people to be able to do that. You know, one of the things that will give me joy might shock you. But if I'm teaching something and you type in chat and say, oh, Pastor Ernest, or you send me a message and say, oh, you said this, but I when I studied, I saw this. Oh, my God. You don't know how. that It gives me, like, it, it's a feeling of joy. Like, I never get, you know, worried that, oh, somebody knows, corrected me. As long as it's the word of God and you are putting the effort, it, it's so attractive to me. So I, I really want to encourage you to have that attitude of I I want to study and know God's word for myself because it is authoritative. It is transform that second point is transformative. But let's finish the authoritative one. Look at verse 11, Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be. So he's talking about his word, the word he speaks out. He says, That goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. I can't see it. I hope I quoted it right. Whereunto I sent it. Yeah. Praise God. So, now I can't see anybody. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, what does this text talk about? It's saying if, if God speaks a thing, the word goes out. And it does the job. It's like, I send my, my word on. In fact, that is the representation of Christ. And I think very strongly, this is an astrology. Don't take this to the bank. Don't take this as doctrine, all right? But I think that is why Jesus did everything he came to do. Because it's the word of God. The word of God cannot fail. <laughs> it will not return to God void. And, and so there is a sense in which, this is my, like I said, this is my own thinking. There's a sense in which I don't think it was possible for Jesus to fail in his mission. He was tempted as we were. He never sinned. But I just sometimes he just had to, to see that Jesus, like, could Jesus fail? I don't think so. It's the word of God. And the word of God never falls to the ground. But yeah, back to my point. Because the word of God will always accomplish what it's sent to do, it is authoritative. Praise the name of Jesus. Comments? On the, on the chat if you're following and if it makes sense to you. And in line with authoritative, just as a subtext, it's still authoritative. You can say it is authoritative and creative. It's authoritative and creative because it produces results. And that's what I meant when I said the word of God, you know, doesn't go to the fall to the ground. When it goes out, it does something. So not only does it respond, but it accomplishes a task. And that's the whole idea of creation, right? Creation is not just, I mean, you say something is created when there's a thing, right? So there's a task that is accomplished that you can see. And so because the word of God is creative in that sense, you have to honor it. Why? Fundamentally, you are, you are a result of God's creative plan. So if, if the things that God created responded, who are you? you get like because you are part of his creation 
you should say yes, sir. You should respond. You should you should have a regard and an honor for the word of God that should be unrivaled. Like people should see you and say, ah, Vicky, that one, if she's Bible, if she does, if you tell her something, this one, she'll not do it. You know, can people say things in the office? I I, I heard a testimony recently, I don't know who it was, that they saw, oh, it was on my WhatsApp status, a friend of mine, she said that somebody in the office spoke on her behalf, said, ah, no, she doesn't, she's not going to go for that party. And he said, no, I'm going to ask her myself and she's going to come. He said, I know her, she's not going to go for that party. And so the person went to ask her, oh, are you going to come for it? I said, oh, I do, I'm going to go, I'm sorry. He's like, ah, your friend said that you're not going to. He said, yes, I, I, yeah, because that's who I am. And, you know, that's such, that's such, a, 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 that's such a peaceful place to be where people can summarize your life. I, I, one of my desires is for people to say, "Ah, P, now on our working Bible, like you know, that that's the that's the guy that if, if God says this, he's going to do what he can to obey God's word. Like that should be something you are known for. In fact, the word for it is integrity. You say a thing and you, you push to get it done, because God is the example of integrity from start to finish. Everything he says comes to pass. All right." So you, because you are created by the creator, you should bow the creator, not forcefully, but willfully, because you have a choice and your choice should always be in, in obeisance to God's word, all right? And then another point is like I said, it is transformative. Why should you honor the word? It's transformative. See, when you obey God's word, like you see God's word, God's word, it says you should do this and against your flesh, Against your will, you say, I will do what God says. Every moment you obey the word of God and say no to the spirit, you grow. That's spiritual growth. Every time your flesh says, go for this thing, and you say, God says no, there is always a reward for that. Thing. You may not see it immediately. It's sowing and reaping. It's a lot of sowing and reaping. Do you plant a seed today and check it two minutes after, five hours after? No, it's a seed. It's going to take time to germinate and grow. And so many times, because we don't see the immediate result of obedience, we just think God is not rewarding it. But hey, he says in due time, he says, do not be deceived. Whatever a man soweth, he shall reap. Go to Galatians 6. Let me show you that text. Praise God. You are really dancing. <laughs> Galatians 6 verse uh, 7, I think. Yeah. It says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What you sow is what you will reap. For if he see that soweth to the flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life and what? Everlasting. Shall reap life everlasting. Ah, man, there's a lot to say on this, but if you want to know more about this, please don't miss our final Bible study on the book of Galatians next week, Friday, or this week, Friday. This week, Friday. Don't miss it, all right? We're ending it. And by the way, there's a quiz, and there's a very good price for anyone who is able to at that quiz. It's a quiz on the whole of Galatians. <coughs> Sorry. 
So it says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, he shall reap. What is he saying? This has been used in the wrong ways, right? So that's that's a teaching. We'll talk about that month, by the way. What is the correct idea of how should you honor the word of God when it comes to um, spiritual leaders, when it comes to other people, you know? The idea of sowing and reaping cannot be thrown away. Even though people have used it the wrong way to teach, oh, if you sow $100, you reap $100, or you reap $1,000. And I'm like, when did you get that kind of teaching? That's wrong. What you should understand is that the principle is still there. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap the flesh. And that's why, if you notice, if you are if you struggle with sin in a particular area, and you succumb to it consistently, guess what? It, that's this scripture explained to you. If you sow to the flesh, what do you reap? More of the flesh. So you want to defeat it, you, you must starve it. Like, that's the idea. If, if you want to be done with, with something, you starve that thing, right? So because the word of God is transformative, when you sow to the spirit, what do you read? Life everlasting. So it's the idea of continuing. Um, <coughs> I'm so sorry. It's the idea of continued reaping, continued reaping. So you sow to the spirit and you reap more of the spirit. Praise the name of Jesus. So the point is, you should honor the word of God because it produces good results in your life. When you honor the word of God, it means you obey it. It means you take it seriously. All right. And then the final point, why should you honor the word of God? Because it is greater than any other witness. In fact, let me show you a text that you may have heard before, but think about the where God himself puts his word. Psalm 80. Psalm 138, Psalm 138, thank you, Jesus. Psalm 138 from verse 1. All right. It says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Verse 2. It says, I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified, the word magnified there is the same word to sanctify or to honor. It's the same, you can get the same thing from there. Magnify thy word above all thy name. Thank you. This is another translation. It says, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. This one NLT, NLT, I scattered it. But anyway, the point is, your the, the name of God, he 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 magnified, okay, this is better. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In other words, God places his word as superior to his name. Meaning, when God says a thing, that is, see, God's word is his bond. God's word is his bond. So you can call him Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, all of those things, call him different names, you know. But his, when you, if you want to really know his person, listen to his word. It's not just the titles and the, you know, all those things that people throw everywhere, you know. And, and some these names, some of the names, right, I have, I have a conversation around that, like why... 
let's leave that today. Don't worry. It, you know, just really about what is the impact of the names of God? Does it do anything? That's a conversation to have, you know. But what really matters to God is not how many names you can list. I know there's this big board, you know, that has all the names of God. And there's no, you can't put the Bible to see it like that. You, you know that all those names, for example, where you see Rafa, Nisi, um, all these things, these were names given by people who saw, heard the word of God, responded to the word of God, got results, and said, oh, based on these results, God must be this. So it's not like God said, this is my name. Do you get? It was the experience of patriarchs that said, oh, wow, he's a healer. Jehovah Rapha, you know, or he's a, he's providential. So it's Jaira. Do you get what I mean? So it's not like God is, I'm Jehovah Jaira. I am Jehovah Nisi. I'm, I'm Jehovah Vadu. That's not, <laughs> it is the experience people have that, you know, informs that, oh, this is who God is to me. And, you know, you can have that in your life. You can have things that God has done in your life and call God based on that. Like it's, it's, Perfectly okay. But realize that that naming system that you're giving God must be birthed from an experience with his word. So God can magnify the word over his name because the word is his bond. That's who he, he is. Now, let me show you this point in better detail. I said it is greater than any other witness, not even his name. Remember in, in Luke 24, some of you already know the story, right? Luke 24, what happened? Jesus joins three disciples in verse two disciples in verse 13. They're walking to Emmaus and he says, you know, he says, Hey, how, you know, why are you guys sad? What's wrong with you people? Why are you sad? And they told him this whole story. And then Jesus, like, wow, what slow of heart and force to believe all that what? All that the prophets had spoken. Thank you. Verse 25. Ought not the Christ to have suffer these things and to enter into his glory. So Jesus himself tells them, you people have missed the point. But now Jesus was there. Here's the point of, of this text. Jesus was right there. He hid his face. He didn't want them to know who he was. So supernaturally hid his visage from them. So they couldn't really tell who he was. And then he was asking them, what's happening in Jerusalem? Why are people sad? They were like, ah, don't you know that Jesus that we thought was the Messiah that was going to deliver us they just killed him like that. Can you imagine? But like, not do anything. He was a nice man healing all of them. I said, oh, my shit, it's so sad. And Jesus is like, wow, you guys missed it. Oh, don't you, are you not supposed to know that that's how it's supposed to play out? Didn't the prophet say it? Didn't Moses say it, that he would suffer and then he would be glorified? And then what did Jesus do? Jesus would have said, you are stupid people. I'm here. Look at my nails, you know? And they'll be like, oh, Jesus. So they hug him and so happily ever after, whatever. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was like, let me take you on your Bible study. What does that show you? It shows you that God, God himself values his word more than any experience. And this is so instructive because many people have placed experience over God. The, the worst people I, I, I talk to, and I, I don't mean worse in the sense of their, their personhood, all right? I mean, just the way they think sometimes. Very, it's very, very annoying. Like, I'm giving them scripture, but they will come with experience. So I say, ah, see, you, um, you know, this thing about tithing, you know, 
I've, I've shown you that from in the word of God, um, it, you know, tithing is not a command for the New Testament believer. There's no law binding the believer to tithe. But God loves a generous giver. God loves a generous giver. So if you decide, yes, out of my honor for God, I'm going to give you 10. Absolutely. But there's no curse if you don't. God is not going to hate you if you don't. It's a good discipline to have. You know, I do it. I think it will be a good thing. And then say, who are you? Do you think that you can cancel all the, you know, all the other fathers have said? Don't you know that if you don't tithe, things will be tight for you? You know, and I say, ah, but the word of God, and I showed them. But you say, no, my pastor said, my daddy said this. And you know, that's the problem we have today. There is no, it's always experience. Or so they'll say, ah, you see, because you have not tried it, just tight. And you see that God will open the, the windows of heaven. Yesterday, I paid my tithes. I got a new job. But do you realize that there are people, sadly, but there are people who pay faithfully and things are happening in their lives that are terrible. Because there's no promise. You have to understand, God does not promise that you'll be the wealthiest man. He promises to be with you in the valleys and in the mountains. Do you get Like, that's the promise. I will be with you. It's not like I will make sure that everything goes well with your life. And so because people don't have that distinction, and they just love the experience. They can easily be dissuaded. Uh, oh, sorry, yes, yeah, swayed, swayed away by, by ideas. So don't be that person who is a sucker for experience, sucker for, oh, what word do you have for me? And you've not gone to the word of God first. The word of God must be placed higher than any other authority in your life. And the last verse, just to show you that even the father, we talk about Jesus. He went to the Bible. He did Bible study with these people before they experienced him. You know, he broke bread. The Bible says, and after he broke bread, you know, their eyes were open and he vanished from their sight. And he said, "Wow!" When he was teaching us, our, our hearts were burning within us. That's in um, Luke twenty-four. But in Luke sixteen, as we round this up, a very interesting story. I think from verse thirteen thereabouts. Help me find it, Vicky. But this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Maybe lower than thirteen, uh, but it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and you know they both died. You people know the story, right? The, um, Lazarus went to the to Abraham's bosom, was carried by angels. Um, the rich man died and went to to the, the realm of the dead. You know when it says hell there. Okay, that's we're going to talk about maybe in September. Um, there's a month we have dedicated to explain heaven, hell, angels, and demons. There are a lot of things people don't get. So I hope we'll be able to do that. And you guys learn a lot from there. But So they both died. And when they got there, look at what it says, verse 23. Well, let's skip to verse 25 because of time. So you know the whole story, right? Um, it says, but Abraham said, so remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and thou art tormented next verse and besides all this there's a great chasm between us there's a great gulf so there's no way we can even you know pass anything to you you know verse 27 then he said I pray thee therefore father is now so it's calling Abraham father you think you can you can do Jomo it's too late for that you cannot be farmsing he said, Father, that you would you wouldn't send him, send him to my father's house. So what is what is he saying? He's begging Abraham. Okay, well, you can't help me. Can you send Lazarus to go back? 
and tell my brothers next. He said, if I have five brethren, I have five brethren. When someone made a joke and I said, maybe the five brethren and the five husbands that <laughs> that woman that you ever had. <laughs> I said, where are you people getting your exegesis from? <laughs> uh, I have five brethren that she may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So he said, go and send Lazarus. He still, he still has that slave mindset. You know, Lazarus was serving him, right? When he was alive. He's still like, let me use my servant. <laughs> you know, send him on errand. That's just sad. Like, I think the mindset of people don't even change in, in even the place of torment, you know? And then Abraham said unto him, Listen to this. This is important. Abraham said, well, they have Moses and the prophets. What is Moses and the prophets, BMG students? The scriptures. They have the scriptures. So let them hear them because the authority of the word of God is enough. And if it's not enough, no experience will be better. Are you getting this? So, So this is very, very important. He says, if they will not hear the, the prophets and Moses, forget it, forget about it. Nothing we can do here. That is it. So the, the point of this teaching is, I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Make it a point of this. Make it your life goal to please God's word over everything. Forget your past. Forget what you've done. Forget the fact that, yes, prior to now, you've not been obeying God's word faithfully, you know. And I like this verse, it says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know what's interesting? Jesus rose from the dead. People still did not believe. <laughs> so I don't know what you want to do. There are people that just have stubborn head. There's not the coconut head that cannot be cracked open. And so I, I just want you to not be a coconut head. That's, that's the summary of this. Like, not the word of God. Put God's word in, in, you know, in the place that it should be. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. Prioritize him in your life. And how do you do this practically? It's very simple. How do you honor God's word? Just honor it. Honor it holy. Isaiah 29, 13 talks about, you know, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Don't be the person that says, you know, I love God, I love Jesus, but your life is the opposite. And yeah, we can't see your life. We can't see what you are doing when we don't see you. We don't know how you engage with people at school, at work. But can you just be full of integrity? Can you be the same inside and out? It's a challenge. It's a challenge from God. He, he wants you to bow the knee to his word. And not only will you experience the transformation when you say yes every time, you will you will honor him. Like the, the whole duty of man is to enjoy God and to, sorry, is to honor God, to know him and to enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. So align with that plan and you'll see fulfillment like never before in your life. Praise God. So any, any questions? Yes? Okay. I have a question. Okay, keep it really short. I want us to start early. Okay, so um, thank you so much for today's teaching. But something has been on my mind. I've been reading the Old Testament and I kind of noticed something, especially with the prophets. And I know this might not really apply to us now because yeah. I mean, then the scriptures were still being written. So, but 
I noticed something about how, you know, they had the law, right, which told them what to do, how to live. But then God will ask them to do something that seemingly was kind of against the law. So you Mm. see, I can't remember for Jeremiah, but Ezekiel, for example, like, and God asked him to eat food that was um, that was made from fear of human dung. See, Hosea, he he married the prostitute, and even in the New Testament, like, um, I mean, things were changed. Things were changed. Even Even Jesus said. Yeah, Jesus, like Jesus, um, say, um, your fathers have said this, but then I say to you, and like, how do you? How do I mean? How did it work for them there too? How did they have that faith that okay, even though the law that we believe God gave us said the opposite thing, but based on my maybe revelation or something, I believe this is God. Like how how do I reconcile everything? Okay, there's a short answer, and the short answer is you have to when you read the Old Testament, you have to realize. The Old Testament, for the most part, is, is, is the zeal of the Lord. There's no other way I can explain it. Like, it is God committing to whatever he wants to do for the sake of bringing about the work of Jesus Christ or telling the story perfectly. So have you ever read the Old Testament? It looks like, wow, these people are like puzzle pieces or they're like chess pieces. It's as if their lives go in a certain way. And we can now look at Jesus' life and say, wow, oh, it's a shadow of Jesus. Or is it this or that? It's because God, in his infinite wisdom, is able to use their own willful choices, their obedience or disobedience, to tell the story of salvation. So the people who honor him, he exalts because they have to reflect Jesus. The people who disregard God, he does something to still tell the story. For example, Jonah says, I'm not going. God said, go and preach. He said, I'm not going. Guess what? Jonah is in the New Testament, spoken by Jesus to say, just the way he was in the belly of the will because of his disobedience. Well, Jesus did not disobey, but he will also be in the belly of the will. So God will use even the weirdest stories or the choices of men or even some of the instructions he would give them and their response to it to point to Christ. Yeah, it's a powerful and, mystery. Yeah, and what is it? What is it? Also, now points to my second question. Though it doesn't have to be a question for this um this session. Mm-hmm. Question on free will because like ah. <laughs> I'm like okay, like what what limit is free will? Because like, I know we've answered it, but then some questions to keep popping up that is free will the concept of free will. Is it just limited to salvation or in the lives in our life generally? Like where where does free will apply and where does free will not apply? And you know, but like I said, you don't have to answer that one. Yeah, I'll I'll point you back to like you know, keep studying the scriptures, right? Keep studying the scriptures, wrestle with those questions, all right, wrestle with the thoughts, but just have the fullest context that most of the things. The Bible has a scope. So when you read mm. the Bible, stay within the scope. So if the scope of the Bible is God's plan in redeeming mankind, don't try to deviate too much from that because you will scratch your head. The people that are trying to theologize on, you know, God is three, God is one, all of that, they are wasting time theologizing. 
guess why they will stay confused? Because the Bible is not intended to ex- explain the Trinity. That's not its purpose. It's there, so you can take out that understanding. Mm. But the, the thing that you're supposed to understand is the thing that he has, it's all about, which is salvation. So nobody should say as a Christian, I'm uninformed about salvation, or I'm uninformed about God's love for us. Because that's the whole, it's a love story. God wants to show when you read the Bible faithfully that he loves us and he wants to do this, he wants to save. So if if your question goes beyond that, I'll probably just say, go ahead and keep studying, enjoy yourself. It's good to, you know, let your brain work sometimes, but let's not go out of, let's not go too far out of the scope of scripture. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, but we can have that conversation offline. Okay. I have some thoughts on that. Okay. All right, any other question? I think we're, we're out of time, but yeah. Thank you so much. I want to just invite you to join us for our final Bible study on Friday. Please come. Even if you're not caught up, you can watch all the past episodes. Read Galatians for yourself. You know, I think you'll do very well. All right. And then next week, we'll continue in our series of your honor. And we'll talk specifically about honoring people. So how do you honor pastors? What is the biblical instruction for honoring ministers of God. How do you honor one another? How do you honor our parents? How do you honor? So different categories of people, how we ought to honor them. So hope you will be there for that. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you. We give you praise. Thank you for your word that has gone forth. We pray that you help us to sanctify the Lord Jesus in our hearts, put him as authority in our lives. He helps us make decisions. We choose his way and not the way of the world. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey there. So we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on MixLR or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmglive4. That's the number four. Or you can look in the description and you'll find the link to the website there. We hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith.